before I get started, I'll, I like to start off with a little bit of a joke. So I had, I come up with different things, and uh, there's no one here to boo me on this one, so I'll, I'll go right for it. So, so yeah, I am. So I got up, uh, there was a preacher that got up, and he started preaching, and he was, and he was full of uh, vim and vigor, and he's preaching hellfire and brimstone to people, and he was, he was telling them how they were living, and how they were living right or wrong, and how they were going to end up in hell if they didn't turn their lives around. He had spoken at one point in time, he said, if I had all the beer in the world, he said, I'd pour it into the river. And then a little later on, he's preaching some more, and he said, if I had all the whiskey in the world, he said, I'd dump it into the river. And then a little while later, he said, if I had all the wine in the world, he said, I'd throw it into the river. Then he sat down, he said, you folks need to get right with God. And then he asked the choir leader to get up and start leading in worship. Choir leader gets up and says, I need you to turn to hymn 134, and let's go to the river. (laughs) Okay, I didn't get any booze, that's good, that's good. Well, tonight, I'm going to speak to you about something that God laid on my heart the other day, and I know that it's for somebody, if not everybody here, for sure, and out there in our social media world, and I know it's very real because I, I had so many uh, distractions to getting this completed that I said it's just, it's the, en- it's the enemy trying to stop where I am. And at one point in time, I, anyway, I'll get into that whole thing. It's very, very interesting because God wakes me sometimes with thoughts and leads me in directions and gets me studying things and reading things, that, and I see them in a different light when I get there. So my message tonight is called Promised Land. What is Promised Land? What is your Promised Land? What is the Promised Land? The word that we read in here in the Bible suggests that Promised Land is a land full or flowing with milk and honey. So how I see it, if we're living our best life, we're living our life in the Promised Land right? How do you live your best life? How do you get to the promised land? If you're currently living in a certain circumstance, how do you get from that circumstance to living beyond that, above that, that it doesn't have control of you, but you are over it? You don't want to be under your circumstances, right? You don't want to say that to people, under the circumstances. What are you doing under there? Get out, right? God wants us to live in a promised land. The promised land is just living in his life that he has for you. Right? That's what he had for the people of Israel. I have more for you, but you have to walk in it. They didn't necessarily walk in it. And I think if there's a lesson to be learned from it, if you live a certain way, sowing and reaping happens, and you'll get a return on that investment. If you're going to pour your life into serving and doing what God called you to do, you'll reap the benefits of such. If your life is anything like mine... This is going to go somewhere for me. So what I've determined in my life is sometimes, if if you've never encountered this, you don't have to say anything. If you did, you don't have to, whatever. But you sometimes go around a mountain. Did you ever find yourself somewhere where you were years before? I'm not talking about three weeks ago. I'm talking about 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you were in the exact same place. Anybody? Yeah. John, (laughs) one bitter, he's on. Well, I can tell you, I was in this place, not here, in this place, 34 years ago. Wow, is right. So, mountain, I understand. But I also understand about living above my circumstances. My purpose tonight is to encourage you to let you know that it's very simple to live above your circumstance, right? So, as they would say in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, or as they would say in a Narconics Anonymous meeting, today is the first day of your life, of the rest of your life. Is that not how we should live every single day? That today is your best life? Today is the day of the start of it. Right? If we woke up thinking that, we would not have a different 
acknowledgement for our day or what we come in contact with? If you knew you were going to pass at the end of the day, what would your day look like? If you have changed anything, you need to go back and start changing your day. If you wouldn't have changed a thing, you're living the right way. Mm. Silence, I like that. You're either thinking or sleeping, and it's too early to be sleeping, so. (laughs) You know, we haven't been born to just simply exist. If you think that's the case, I'd like you to listen very closely. That's not what we were born for. We were born to live a good life. Not that it's necessarily easy, not that we don't have to work, not that we have to have everything given to us, but a good life in that you feel good about who you are, what you do, what you represent, and what your projection is to the people that you come in contact with. Our purpose is to bring life to our sphere of influence. What I mean by that is, my purpose is not necessarily to save all of India. Now, maybe God calls me to do that. And I'm not saying that people don't have callings. My calling, my purpose, is to touch the people I come in contact with on a daily basis. That's where my responsibility lands. And when I run to other things, it's because I'm not, or I'm trying to avoid maybe my responsibility closer to home. Hmm. Did that, anybody? I, I, tell you, I just felt it, stepped on my own foot. Okay. You guys are like tough. <laughs> tough crowd, Pastor Paul. Man. So if it's the people that we come in contact with that we're responsible for, or the people that we speak to, that we relate to, that we're responsible for, shouldn't we be really, really, really careful how we speak to them, what we speak to them, And what message we're conveying to them about the God that we serve. Okay. I'm glad you're with me on that. Because when we get to the end, you're going to say, I'm glad I answered that that way. (laughs) I'm going to read 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21. Bring it home. Uh, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So simple. God made his own son to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, he created us with a purpose. And ultimately, Jesus Christ dying on the cross was so we could fulfill our purpose. We're designed to be the righteousness of God to other people. Not so we could sit in their pious position, praying, thinking that we're holier than anybody else. Because trust me, when I say this, I'm not. I'm just like you. If I cut myself, I'm red blood coming out of here. We're all the same. We all bleed. We all feel. We all hurt. But we all get happy. We all have good things to go on to. So, let me say it to you another way. Jesus Christ His redemptive blood was given so we could live righteously before God. To reinstate or to redevelop a relationship that we should be having with God. So if you're not having the relationship, if you're not having the fellowship with God, you're missing out on the opportunity because he paid a dear price for you. So you could have it. So we have to be careful what we act, what we say, how we present God to others. Our righteous lifestyle actually catapults us into fulfilling God's purpose for our lives or helping us reach our promised land. Remember, our promised land is simply living our best life with God. Had some challenges with this today because I, now, I didn't do this all today, so don't think that I just left this for the last second. I was typing this out. Now, this is interesting because I was typing this out and I, and I type it out so I can get the font in the correct size that I'm comfortable reading it, regardless where I'm standing. So just so you understand, I don't like wearing glasses all the time. And sometimes if it's too fine, I feel like I got to. So 
Long story short, I'm halfway in the middle. I had spent a long time doing this. I'm not a great typer, right? Like one finger type deal. <clears throat> anyway, my word program stopped. It went into this fail-safe mode. I couldn't print. I couldn't, I couldn't backtrack. I couldn't even move the page. It was just stuck there. The interesting part about it is there was a scripture verse at the end of it, and I actually took a picture of it in case no one believed me. And I'm not, I didn't even put it in the future, what I ended up finishing with. And, it was, and there was a reason, because I got off on a little bit of a bunny trail, and I had some notes that I had taken over the past several days. And when I took these notes, I started coming up with all these other bunny trails. Because my thought process, you know, you get thinking about something else, and, and it wasn't for tonight. My bunny trail took me over here, and I got into something that very, very interesting for me, but not for you guys tonight, and I know that. The last thing that I had written on this page before it disappeared on me was, remember this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. Wow, and I'm like, I took a picture I showed my wife, and I said, I just, this whole thing, it's gone. It's gone. Pages and pages and pages, gone. And that's what I got. And I said, you think that's going to bother me? I'm so far beyond that. Not to say that I can't have the test. I got it. I had it. And then God spoke to me and he said, I knew you could do it. But better than that, you're on a bunny trail. I didn't want you to go down yet. So that's the way God works for me in my life. He directs every step I take. Does he direct yours? If he doesn't, let him. I, I dare you. I dirty dog double dare you to let him. So when I was doing some research and reading the other day about uh, the promised land, I got into reading about uh, Moses uh, in Deuteronomy 1. He actually says, I don't, I don't know if we really have to go there. I'll just lead and we'll see where we go. Uh, it's actually Moses who's preaching a sermon in Deuteronomy 1. That's what they call it. He's not really, he's, he's blasting the people. It'd be like Pastor Gary getting up here and blasting us all about how we do things wrong or, you know, we're complainers and moaners and all this stuff, whiners and whatever other adjective we want to use to describe people. Um, that's, that's really what was going on there. So, but in verse 8, it, it, this really gets interesting for me because there were some, there's some things that have been revealed to me about the promised land and, and the journey that Moses took over the, and this has been over the past month or six weeks that I've really kind of gone on this little journey with this. So in, in verse 8, it, see, I, I've set the land before you to go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. So God actually set them up for their promised land, right? I've set before you a promised land. Why did it take them 40 years? Why was I here 34 years ago? I'm not judging them. <laughs> Judge not, right? Lest you be judged. Uh, it sounds to me like God had control of what they were doing, and he had plans for them, but they had to walk into it. They had to want it the same as he wanted it for them. He doesn't make us do anything. That's the part about God that blows me away. If we knew what our tomorrow would bring, would we change our today to make tomorrow what we wanted it to be? If we knew the outcome. There's not too many people here that would just let the day be, right? Most people would try to aim it in a certain direction if we knew what tomorrow's outcome was going to be. To get there or to make it different. And God doesn't do that. He knows the beginning from the end. And he still doesn't force us. Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans that I have for you are for good. Not for evil. But the people still walked in rebellion. When Jeremiah said that to the people of Israel, that's, they were in rebellion. 
But yet God said it. He prophesied to them. I know the plans that I have for you that are good. Right? You have to walk in it. You have to move towards your promised land. So, as I said, it sounds to me like God put them in this place where all they had to do was listen and then step into their promised land. That sounds incredibly easy to me for something that seems to take so long for people to get across. It was meant to be incredibly easy. That's the part we don't get in our humanity or our rational thinking. It was meant that the people could walk right into their promised land. But they didn't. They chose their own thoughts. They, thought they chose their own directions. <clears throat> now, remember what I had said earlier, that the promised land is really God's will, right? And purpose for your life. That's, that's your real promised land. That's where you get your rest. That's where you get life and life more abundant. That's the place. So, I welcome you. Welcome to your promised land. It's your choice, right? But you must step into it. You can lead you the horse to the water, but you can't force him to drink it. That's really what it comes down to, right? Exodus 3.17 says, I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I realize the scripture wasn't really talking about us today, but the word of God tells us very clearly God is still the same, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did for them, that he was willing to show them a land of milk and honey, he's got that for you. Do you believe it? I, I do. All right, I'm glad somebody's awake here. So you might say, you know, those promises were given to Abraham and his family. Okay, well, you can say that. I totally get where you're coming from, so I'm going to give you something else to back it up. Galatians 3, 6, and 7 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted for him as righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. That makes you part of the inheritance, right? You become part of the family line. So that means the land of milk and honey, the promised land, is really for you. It's yours. 100%. Now, when I got thinking about what, why would it use the terms land flowing with milk and honey? Have you ever seen land flowing with milk? Anybody? Honey? No. Honey would be a messy thing, I would think. The milk would get sour over time, but anyway. (laughs) I got thinking about it and I thought, you know what, realistically, I I believe that the reason the terms were used, because if you think about milk, milk's a warm, soothing, um, nutritional supplement that we take, you know, Uh, even as young children, it's there to be a primary portion of our diet that helps us to grow and develop. So the reason it's milk is because God wants to give us some milk that we grow and develop. So we become strong, stronger in him, right? That we get our proper diet. One that makes us healthy, that we can turn into adults who serve God, (laughs) not just children. Don't let that step on your toes. Uh, And the honey, I got thinking about the honey. Why honey? Because honey is sweet, right? And if you've ever had pure honey, it's not overbearing. Pure honey is like candy. Tastes really good. You can leave it in your mouth for a long time. It's not too much. But it's full of goodness. And in this case, it's really about the land of honey, which is God's goodness. The goodness of God, his life, his blessing, his life more abundant. That sounds good, doesn't it? Now, maybe you're thinking this sounds too good to be true, right? That you've heard what's going on in the world out there, right? That there's all kinds of difficulties. There's division with people. There's financial difficulties. There's economic crisis. There's people going on about uh, what COVID's done to them and, and problems at work. And prob- I hear all that. I get all that. I understand that people go through trouble. 
But remember what I said about rising above your circumstance. That's, that's got nothing to do with what our God does. People focus on circumstance. God doesn't. He doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm here to tell you that he's still the same. He doesn't change. He's seen all this before. This isn't new to him, right? It's not the first time he's gone around this little mountain. People have seen lots of things through the years. And we just lived in such a fantasy world of how things have to be. We're spoiled rotten. <laughs> we don't even see it. It's so bad as, as a nation. We don't even see how good we have it. We're concerned about wearing a mask in public. There's countries in the world that they have to wear them because of their pollution. Like, like we focus on the wrong stuff. Live your life. What did Jesus tell us to do? Do as he did. Do good and heal. <laughs> okay. How do you do that? You get to know who he is. That's how you do it. Ecclesiastes 1.9, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. So guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. Now somebody asked me, what does that really mean? In this particular case, I believe it's referring to the fact that outside of God's hand on the world, we're just strictly matter, putting in time. If he removed his life breath from the world today, we would all be a history, right? Because without his life imparted to this world, we don't have any, right? Before he breathed his life, we were without form and without, vo we were, right? We were, without, we, were, we were without, we were void. We, we were without life in us. Anybody getting this? So if you want the promised land for you, you need to step forward and step into it. You need to seek after God. Deuteronomy spells it out for us. Well, actually, Moses was preaching to the people, and I like what he says, so, and I like where it goes sometimes. Verse 6 of uh, Deuteronomy 1. I'm going to bring it up here. In the message translation. I'm going to skip over the first little bit there. Just... Uh, so it says, God, our God, spoke to us. You've stayed long enough at this mountain. On your way now. Get moving. Head for the Amorite hills, wherever people are living in the Arab, uh, the mountains, the foothills, the Negev, the seashore, the Canaanite country, the Lebanon, all the way to the big river, the Euphrates. Look, I've given you this land. Now go in and take it. It's the land God promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their children after them. Like I said, it sounds to me like it was all there for them. So what took them so long to get to it? If the promised land was always right there, which it clearly is, and I'm going to get to this in a second, what takes us so long? Why? Because is it because of our independence? Because we're seeking after our own things, right? See, God's timing, he's got timing for everything. If we listen to him, he's got a right time. He'll walk us into something or through something. Not around it. That's not God's way. Think about it. How many times? You know, the walls of Jericho, they just in. They marched around it. They didn't have to do it as a huge tribe, though. God was able to do it with a few number. And, and that's the way God works. And so you know that it's him. And not you. Otherwise, we would take credit as man, right? In verse 8, it says that I'm giving you this land now. Go in and take it. Now, that sounds to me like it's pretty straightforward. There's not much confusion there. So why didn't they just go in and take it? Anybody know? What? Fear? That's a good one. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons. They started making all kinds of excuses. And if we look down a little bit further, verse 9, Moses actually starts at first. He starts making excuses, and he says, I can't do this. I can't carry you guys all by myself. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Anyway, I like the man, too. 
Anyway, verse 12 and 13, he gets into all your troubles, all your burdens. Feel sorry for me. Pote, pote, pote. Sounds almost pathetic. Why blame all the people? We're all in this together, right? It's one big boat. <laughs> Was with Noah. <laughs> Anybody get that? Galen did, yeah. It was good. And verse 14, goodness, he says, you answered me. Oh, good. A good solution. The people came up with a solution. Now, that solution is interesting because they put a team of people together. I, I would call them probably elders today that would funnel the complaints, <laughs> basically screening the worst to the least. The ones that were too much for them to handle, they would forward through to Moses. The rest of them they dealt with on their own. Now, isn't that interesting? Sounds a little bit like today, right? Excuse me, ma'am, but you have to see the complaints manager. That's not my department. We want to pass the buck, right? Nobody really wants to deal with anything themselves. Well, that's not God's way. Own it. Move on. Again, nothing new under the sun. None of this surprises God. None of this. So let's look back one more time. Their solution was to have people screen the troubles. And the funny part about it is they didn't see anything wrong with it. They thought, this is great. We can continue to go on about our troubles, whine and complain, and they're just going to take it. They're going to deal with it, and they'll come up with their own solutions for whatever the problems might be. I see a problem with that, right? I see a problem with the fact that the people wanted to just complain all the time. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't like listening to the complainers much. I couldn't be the complaints department. <laughs> well, I could be. <laughs> I could be, but the department might get closed up soon. But it sounds a lot like our social media today, doesn't it? There's your complaints department. Just send it through and everyone's got a voice. Everyone's got an opinion. Just wanting to be heard. Dispelling their opinion. Dispelling their judgment on the rest of the world. What I think or what I think's real or what I don't think's real. And you got to see it my way. And if you don't see it my way, well, too bad. But that's not God's way. If, he, if that was God's way, he would have just done that a long time ago. God's way is mercy. and ju It's not judgment. That's man's way. God's way is mercy. Let me give you every opportunity in the book. Even when you're doing wrong, I'm going to show you how to do right before you get in trouble for it. <clears throat> Folks, we need to extend his mercy. We need to be Jesus to the people we come in contact with. That we can walk. It's not... <clears throat> It's so we can walk in our own land. We don't get the benefit of the land if we don't walk in it. If we don't know the truth, if we don't let the truth set us free, that we can set others free, we don't get the revelation of the promised land. We miss it again. Hundreds and hundreds of years. And they just kept moving by. It just keeps moving by. We keep missing it. Why do we keep missing it? Because we want to keep passing the buck. It's somebody else's responsibility. Let the pastor go see them in the hospital. Well, cross your mind, you go do it. Stop blaming other people. Sorry. Keep it down. Keep it down. <laughs> anyway, let's not bring condemnation to other people, right? You like that one, eh? When we bring judgment, we bring judgment upon ourselves. Did you know that? And if you don't know it, I just told you about it, so now you're responsible for it, just so you know. It's just the way it works. James 4.12 says that there's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Basically, there's lots of people out there casting lots of judgment, but there's only one that's true. And he's the only one that's allowed to. So the rest of us need to zip it up. Zip. And if it isn't good coming out, don't let it out. I think we were taught that from the time we were this high. If you've got nothing good to say, then don't say it. What The good news is not talking about what's going on in the world. The good news is the fact that we've got an alternative. 
The good news is not talking about whether you believe in getting a vaccine or whether you don't. The good news isn't whether or not you believe somebody should be home with or without a mask. The good news is not about any of that. It's about Jesus Christ, the fact that he came, that we could have life and life more abundantly. If we would walk in it, we can have it for ourselves. You can walk into your promised land today if you choose to, or you can deny it, in which case you're going to reap the benefits of such. Isn't that easy? Don't get me riled up. <laughs> so back to Deuteronomy. I might have got distracted for a sec. In verse 19, they made it. Uh, they've made it. It's right in front of them. Moses says to them, he says, look, God, your God has placed this land is a gift before you. Go ahead and take it now. God, the God of your fathers has promised it to you. Don't be afraid. So they knew where they were. Moses knew where they were but they didn't walk into it. Does, it. does that not concern you a little bit? What happened? So maybe right now you're on the precipice. Maybe you're on the cusp. Maybe you're standing there right now at your promised land. And there's something holding you from stepping into it. Something holding you from moving forward in what God has for your life. What could it be? You? When I look at what the people of Israel were doing at the time, there's a lot of backbiting. There was a lot of storytelling. There was a lot of confusion and division and all of which stops you from walking into that promised land. When all the time it was right there in front of them. How many people have been on the edge of that and, and just keep walking by it in their life? I think I've been around it. Uh, I may have done it. But not always. I'm going to tell you, I've seen the glory of God in my life. I've seen the goodness of God in my life. I live with the goodness of God in my life. All the time. I'll tell you a funny story. And this is funny. Because it was a lesson for me. So, I may, I may or may not have found it funny at the time. <clears throat> this is very recent. This was last Friday. I was leaving work. And I, Rob likes to dabble in cars. And uh, so I had bought an older car and uh, anyway, long story short, I've been tinkering around with it and I had it to work and everybody left. Everybody was gone. It was like, I don't know, 6.30 or quarter to seven in the evening. And I went out back and I jumped in the car and it was dead. <laughs> I looked around and there's always somebody around, right? Not a car. <sighs> Sorry. Anyway, I, I kind of sighed a little bit, and I didn't get up tight. I don't do that anymore. I've learned it's no good for me or anybody else around me. So I'm sitting in the car, and I said, God, I just want to go get my pizza. I said, yeah, well, it was already happening, so I said, You've got all the power in the world. I just need you to help me start this car. Don't make me have to walk down the street and try to find somebody to give me a boost. And I felt like a trigger in my spirit. Okay, you're on. Turn the key, and it started up like that. Yeah. So in my cocky arrogance, I went to the pizza shop, and I shut the car off. But hey... I came back out. I thought it ran long enough that it would charge up a little bit. Again, I hadn't had to boost it before. So anyway, <clears throat> and it didn't. So for the next 10 or 15 minutes, I found myself walking around the parking lot asking people for booster cables and if anybody could boost the car. And it, Honestly, it's not at the right time, apparently, in society to ask people for things, right? <laughs> anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting. I felt like a leper for simple booster cables. <laughs> um, but here's what I got out of it. God said, you asked me for something, and I gave it to you. When you shut the car off, you tempted the situation. And that's not me. You expected me to do it again for you. Not that I wouldn't, but I'm here to teach you today. See, I had my lesson learned, but I had to go back and test it. I should have stopped the first time. See, that's why we go around mountains again. See, I, I had my experience in the promised land, and I decided to turn it around and try it again. Let's see if it happens again. What, what was I expecting? 
My expectation was the miracle, right? However, he wanted to teach me something. Don't take advantage of him. It's not what he's there for. He's there for all your needs. Hmm. Man, how did I get off of that? So we're at verse 19 to 21. We're talking about the, that they had the gift before them of the promised land. How many people have been right there that God's led you somewhere and all you were required to do is step forward into it? And, and here you are years later thinking, I'm back here again. You know, I'm, I, never, I never got there. I never reached that, you know, land of milk and honey, you know. It's not new to God. Verse, 20, verse 22, I, I like it, it. Very simple. The people and Moses both agreed on this. Let's send someone else to test this land out. Right? Really? You're standing right there and you're going to send somebody else. Is, is that not passing the buck? Is, we still do it today. Right? Just in case it's not as cool as we think it is, I'm going to send Pastor Paul in first. <laughs> Right? No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I'd go first. I would. I shouldn't have said that, huh? <laughs> Verse 23 to 25. The idea even sounded good to Moses. He says, that's, that's good. It's a good land that God, our God, is giving us. What? So you're going to send, you, you agreed to send somebody, but you're saying it's a good land. Like, it, it, it sounds to me like there might have been some doubt in his camp. Right? Doubt enough that they had to send somebody in to test the waters, to test the land to make sure it was really everything it was supposed to be. And he was trying to sell the people on it, right? So they then tested what God had said was good, which is what I did on Friday. He did good for me. I asked him, and he was there. He doesn't let me down. Never. I tested him, and I didn't have to. I didn't. <laughs> I could have drove home, or I could have left it run. Either way, I didn't have to do it. So when you test God, you're really taking a risk, right? Because it sometimes shows that we distrust him, right? We want to see that he's going to be able to do that again. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, anywhere he wants. Don't kid yourself. Have you been there before? Have you tested God? Verse 26 to 28 says that they had sowed dote amongst themselves because they had ungrateful hearts for fear of the unknown. Dana, you're right. Have you ever had fear of the unknown, scared to step into something because you, didn't, you just didn't know? And the interesting thing about God is he understands that. He understands that about us. But he's, he's there, so if you have the fear of the unknown, you can ask for his help, and he's quick to give it. You can ask for knowledge, he'll give it to you. Ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Knock, the door will be opened, right? And then verse 29 to 33, Moses defends his position and his case with the people of Israel. Have you ever defended yourself? Uh, I wouldn't have done that, but, right, that's not me. Who was it? <laughs> you didn't allow your faith to move in the right direction. Instead, you maybe followed fear. You allowed other things to captivate your attention. In verse 33, we see there that God proved himself here as he does time and time again. Um, he's always faithful. He's always true. I should get into reading some of that, I guess. I didn't want to read the whole chapter, so I had numerous times. So, But now that you're here, this is in the middle of, again, it's uh, the message. It doesn't always break it down easily for you. But now that you're here, you won't trust God, your God. The same God goes ahead of you in your travels to scout out a place to pitch camp, a fire by night and a cloud by day to show you the way to go. And when God heard what you said, he exploded in anger and he swore not a single person of his evil generation is going to get even as much as a look at the good land that I promised to give your parents. 
Not even, not even a single person. Oh, except one. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He'll see it. I'll give it to him and his descendants, the land he walked, because why? He was all for following God, heart and soul. Is that not what God's looking for out of each one of us? Following after him, heart and soul, committed, right? We say all these things, but we do, do we really mean them? Is there a change? Do, are you going to do something different tomorrow than you did today that would lead God to say, there's a change of heart? Because if you're not, it's called lip service. And he sees right through it. Are we going to allow him the control, or are we still going to want to be in control that we stay as independent instead of being dependent on the power of God in our lives? Because whether we want to believe it or not, we are so dependent on him, we have no idea. We need the sun to come up every morning. We need the moon to come up every night. We need the air that we breathe. We need the trees that create the oxygen. We need everything he's put into play in our universe. That's why I said there's nothing new under the sun. Beyond the sun, right, he creates. Everything else is subject to him. So, do you learn from your experiences and glean from them? And say, God, help me, please. I told you about the story about the car. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? That's, that's God, right? And knowing, I, I didn't know when that happened that I was going to speak tonight. So, but it all, it played in so well with the fact that I acknowledged God and I did a very similar thing to what the people of Israel were doing. Why didn't I walk into what God had for me? Because I wanted to try it again. I, not that I intentionally tried it, because I don't think I did, but in my back of my mind, maybe. <clears throat> so back to verse 34 and 36. So here they're standing at the promised land in rebellion with their self-righteous ways, removing themselves from the opportunity of a promised land. Now Moses is just preaching this to them. This is what he led, led them through, right? And that Caleb and his descendants are now going to be the ones that see it. And Moses, in verse 37, he's really bummed out about this. He starts blaming the people of Israel. See, like the blame game again, right? They're blaming him. He's blaming them. At the end of it, Moses says, it, I also got it. Like, just so you know, don't be ticked off at me. I also got it. I'm not going to see the promised land either. What? That's, that's yours. You're to blame. No, you're to blame. Well, you're to blame. Well, yeah, just so you know, I'm going to pay for this too, right? Just, that's, that's where they were, as people, they were operating. It sounds a lot like what we see today with people constantly at one another instead of letting people be, right? Instead of supporting people and loving people and caring for people the way that God wants us to care for people. To move into the promised land, you have to come above those situations, right? That you're not going to play that game anymore. You're not going to blame people anymore. Do you realize that we could actually be keeping, with Moses' situation here, do you realize that your particular situation could be keeping somebody else from entering into their promised land? So the people were the ones that were creating this issue for him. He was getting frustrated trying to deal with them. And out of his frustration, he dealt with them wrongly. Which kept him from entering into the promised land. So how many times do we deal with people inappropriately and keep ourselves from entering into a promised land? I just spoke to myself, okay? So something I got into the other, uh, about a month ago, was in Numbers 20, verse 2 to 8. And uh, in verses 2 to 5, I'll just kind of give you a, a general overview of what was going on. The people that had attacked, again, same story, uh, Moses and Aaron, not physically, but verbally, they had attacked them. They were ticked off that they were now away from their provision and now living in this wilderness experience for so many years. They completely ignored the fact that it was their own disobedience. They couldn't see it. You know, do, can you relate to that at all? That maybe it's our own disobedience that kind of takes us on our own little bunny trails in our life? 
you know, have you, have you done something that you've seen yourself doing 20 years down the road or 10 years down the road and wondering why nothing ever changed for you? Those same people who were just at the edge of their promised land once again missed the mark. Here they are, opportunity, and they decide we're going to tear this guy down again because we can't stand the fact that we don't have... I don't know what they thought they were missing. They were slaves, and now they're free. So, But somehow they seen it as being a wrong treatment. <laughs> but they weren't happy when they were slaves either, so there's a real issue there, right? Yeah, I think our attitude determines our altitude, right? So immediately, again, they shift the blame onto Moses and Aaron. And if you've ever seen yourself pointing blame, you know exactly what I'm talking about then. I personally, yeah, I've done it. So I wasn't going to say I wasn't. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever found yourself that you blame others, other people. And, and sometimes we do it just to deflect. And it's not really direct blame, but it's, well, that wouldn't happen if, you know, just, and it's kind of just to deflect the situation. But it's still pointing blame. And that's not what we're created to do. We're created to own what's ours and walk in it, right? Walk it out. That's how, that's how your character gets developed, so you can get to that promised land. The only way you're ever going to get free is if you get free from yourself. Yourself. Did you hear? Okay. In reality, it takes the light off yourself when we point blame to somebody, right? And you don't want that spotlight on you, so it's easier to turn it a little bit another way. And But that's... that's uh, it's a rebellion, right? Instead of owning your responsibility and moving forward. Or maybe you've been disobedient in an area of your life that God's called you to or allowed other things to creep in, keeping you away from your promised land. I've got great news for you. We do have an advocate, right? One who sits right beside our Heavenly Father on our behalf, making intercession for us. That we don't have to stay there but we have the opportunity to move out of that, to move into a new level with him, to live a life that's above where we live today. Regardless where we live, we can always live better. Yes? Hmm? Amen. Okay. So back to verse 7 and 8 in Numbers. God had spoke to Moses, and here's something that I, I found interesting. He specifically said, speak to the rock right in front of them, and I will give water. I'm going to read this for you. Numbers 20, <laughs> verse 7 and 8. God spoke to Moses, take the staff, assemble the community, you and your brother Aaron, speak to the, that rock that's right in front of them, and it will give water. You will bring water out of the rock for them. Congregation and cattle will both drink. Isn't that interesting? So God spoke to Moses. Now, do you remember Moses hit the rock before, right? He was told to hit, do you remember the story? Anyway, God didn't tell him to hit the rock. He told him to speak to the rock. Now, I thought that was interesting because quite often we hear from the pulpit that we are able to speak to our mountain and see it moved. Not only that, we can speak to the rock and see it give water. It sounds to me like our words have a lot more power to them than we give credit to. Do you think that might have been part of what God was getting across here? Your words have power. You need to watch what comes out of your mouth. You might be speaking life or death to your own situation. Never mind everybody else's. Okay, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> God didn't tell them to strike the rock. He told them to speak to the rock. What God was trying to show them is that he is a God of power, a God of love, a God who cares for every area of their lives. Even, even when they operated in disobedience. It didn't stop his love for them, as it doesn't stop his love for us. That's the thing that we got we to get that in our heads. We have to understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love for us is never ending. So why do we seem to want to cut things off sometimes? 
I mean, John 3.16 and 17 sums it up for us, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved, right? So God loves us that much. Not only did he want to save us from sin, but he wanted to save us from the condemnation that comes with sin. See, the sin itself is something that we'd pay for that we would, we would pay for later. The condemnation is something that you pay for daily. Do you understand that? So he didn't come just to save us from the sin, but also the condemnation, the damnation that we do to ourselves or others do to us while we're alive on this earth. He freed us from it. The condemnation. Okay. Back to numbers. <laughs> Verse 9 to 12. So Moses took the staff away from God's presence, as commanded. He and Aaron rounded up the whole congregation in front of the rock. Come on, everybody. Let's gather around the rock. Come on. I got my staff here. With that, Moses raises his arm, slammed his staff against the rock. Once, twice, water poured out, and the congregation and the cattle drank. In spite of the disobedience, God still met their need in spite. It didn't matter. He was still looking after the need of the people, even though Moses didn't listen. <clears throat> Verse 12. This is, what I, this is what I stumbled over about a month ago. That I, it just God said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me and didn't treat me with holy reverence in front of the people of Israel, you too aren't going to lead this company into the land that I'm giving them. So. They misrepresented God to the people. So what God was saying is, you, you made them think what they were thinking because you misrepresented me. It was out of their frustration. Moses, out of his frustration, didn't go down and just say, rock, give up water, right? He went down and hit it with his staff. Misrepresented the power of God to the people. He should have just went down and said what God told him to say. Speak to that rock. Rock, give up your water. God said, give up the water, but he didn't. Isn't that like us? God, in his mercy, sometimes when we deserve a whole lot worse, still comes in and gives us good, right? Still meets us at our point of need when we deserved way less. So, you see how our words and our actions have power? They have the power to move people. They have the power to change the world we live in. They have power to bring water from a rock. That, that was the lesson to learn, is that our words hold power. And it was the words that Moses spoke that created the fact that he wasn't going to get to see the promised land that he had worked so dearly at trying to get to. Hmm. Powerful, eh? Because Moses allowed frustration, he, and, I, and I totally get it. I totally get how that can happen, right? When you're trying to get people motivated and keep them moving on and, you know, how many years they've been walking around looking. <laughs> and you get tired of listening to the complaints, right? Enough that they came up with a group of people to take them. <laughs> so have you ever betrayed or, or, um, or, or portrayed, sorry, is, a better, is the word, God wrongly before people? When people see you or talk to you, do they think, what, what's different? Or is that, they're like God to me. Like in, in, in feeling. I don't mean as, as a high and mighty. I just mean that. Or do people see you as human and difficult or contrary or whatever the case? If our words are that powerful, we have to understand we have that effect on people. To be life or not. To walk somebody into a promised land or turn them from it. We have that ability. That's a lot of power. But God's entrusted us with it. He gave us freedom to speak. Now, he did tell us, choose life, not death. So it's serious, right? 
Moses had committed this very, uh, his very life to bringing the people of Israel out of slavery and leading them into this promised land of milk and honey, and then removed himself from it because he was no longer objective. Right? It became personal to him, and he allowed himself to get frustrated with people and irritated. We've all been there, right? Frustrated or irritated, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe whatever. I'm not going to get into labeling all the people. Anyway, uh, we've all been there. We've all been part of it. We've all seen part of it. We've all, it's important that we understand that can stop you. That could be your very shortcoming, right? That keeps you from the very promised land for your life. So we need to speak life and plant good seed, right? We need good soil and we need to water it appropriately. 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 Hello? That means when it should be, not when it shouldn't be. Like anything, it can be too much, right? That activity brings you to a promised land. Your miracle is right there. You're at your promised land. You just have to step into it. Isn't that interesting? You just have to step in. So if your needs are all being met right there, if your life is being fulfilled right there, if God has a plan for your life that will be fulfilled right there, doesn't it sound like we need to move into that? As you know, I'd already quoted Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for the plans I have for you, says the Lord, are for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Not just a future, but a hope for tomorrow, right? That tomorrow will be a good day. It's, it's hope. Your, your hope is, regardless what your eyes see, God's in control. You don't have to like what you see if you trust that God's in control. Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work together for a good, right? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Are you called according to his purpose? Do you believe all things work together for your good? Then let's not speak negatively about anything. Because when I had to boost the car, ha, ah, I learned to button my lip. There was nothing negative. You can ask my wife, nothing negative about it. I learned a valuable lesson. So that was a positive thing for me. It didn't frustrate me. I chuckled, the same as I'm sure God chuckled in the heavens. Ah, you're learning. It's what I want you to learn. If we learn to make God the epicenter of our world, of what we see on a daily basis, do you think we would change the people we come in contact with? Do you think we'd be able to fundamentally walk into our promised land if you made him center of your world instead of the outside, something that you pick up on a Sunday morning? So submit to God. Commit your life. Commit your ways. Let him be your epicenter today. Ask him to forgive you of your rebellion, that he would create in you a clean heart. Ask him to forgive you of your distrust. David says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Why do you think he said that? Because your heart's everything. Remember back when we were reading? Who was going to go into the promised land? Caleb. Why? Because he had a heart. That was to God. Your heart is everything. So where your heart is? Hmm? Everything. So if you're here tonight, you're under the sound of my voice. You're now accountable to God for what I just said. Sorry. I'm not sorry. Not in the least. He commissioned me to speak it. By committing yourself to God and submitting your life, you'll allow for full restoration and a reconfirmation of what he has for you. Because that doesn't stop today. It just picks up again, right? You don't miss it because you missed so many years. You can walk into that when you're ready to walk into it. As the other holds true as well, if you're not submitting or you're not committing your ways to God, you'll fall short. So now you have a choice. 
God's good, always gives us choices. Understand that there's always a choice, but be clear about one thing. If you don't make a choice, you just made a choice. May not be the one you want long term, but by not making choices, we make choices, right? James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's your promised land. Be a doer, not just a hearer. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.